Welcome to episode 5 of The Blot. I'm your host, Mark Cole, editor and publisher of Desktops Magazine and host of the Winter Palace podcast. The Blot is a co-production of Desktops Magazine and the When It Was Cool Network. This is a show that we had on the list to do eventually, but with the recent death of legendary filmmaker Jean-Luc Godard at the age of 90, we had to do some kind of tribute. So today we're going to look at a few of my favorite French New Wave heist films. There are plenty to choose from, of course, but we are only going to look at a few of them and ones that are easily available to watch on streaming. Before we start, we have to explain what is the French New Wave. I have to apologize in advance to all of my former film school professors for this very cursory overview of the genre. Basically, there were a number of film critics who wrote for the French film journal Cahiers du Cinema in the 1950s and decided that in addition to being critics, they wanted to start making films of their own, heavily influenced by all of the American pictures that were being shown in France after World War II. This includes people like Francois Truffaut, Claude Chabrol, Eric Romer, and of course Godard. And for our discussion today, we are going to include Jean-Pierre Melville in that discussion, who is often called the godfather of the French New Wave, because he was already making films before the folks from Cahiers decided to become directors. And early on, many of these directors made crime pictures, which were inspired by the fondness for what we would later call film noir. You know, rain-soaked streets, private detectives, trench coats, femme fatales, all that jazz. This includes things like the Maltese Falcon, Dumble Indemnity, Out of the Bast, Detour, and many, many, many more. Shoot the Piano Player by Francois Truffaut, which is based on the American pulp novel down there by David Goodis. The film focuses on Charlie, who is the piano player at a local bar. We soon meet Charlie's brother, who it turns out has pulled a heist with their third brother and swindled the gangsters they were working with out of the money and absconded with the loot. The gangsters soon show up in the bar. Charlie helps his brother escape, but that's only a temporary solution. Charlie and the bar's waitress, Lena, walk home, and we soon learn that Lena has a crush on Charlie. But Charlie is very timid and does not immediately do anything about it. Soon, the gangsters show up, and it turns out that the bar owner has dimed them out. To the gangsters and they are captured and Lena's quick thinking manages to save the day initially as they are stuck in a car 
and Lena steps on the gas pedal, driving them through an intersection right in front of a Parisian traffic cop who pulls them over. This allows Charlie and Lena to escape. They go back to Lena's apartment where it turns out that Lena knows about Charlie's dark secret. Charlie used to be a concert pianist and things did not go well for Charlie. We'll leave it at that. No spoilers here. Soon it turns out the gangsters show back up at Charlie's house while they are at Lena's apartment and kidnap Charlie's youngest brother, who is a kid named Fido. Soon, Charlie and Lena and the gangsters and Fido are all on a collision course headed to Charlie's parents' house in the countryside, where Charlie's other two brothers all hold up with the loot. This being a film noir, things do not end up happily and not everyone makes it out alive. Like many of the French New Wave films, Truffaut uh, borrowed a number of shots in the film from directors like Chaplin and Wells, among some of the other thematic scenes that he had seen in some of the film noirs when he was a critic. And in Fair Game, Truffaut was borrowed from in this film by Robert Altman in McCabe and Mrs. Miller. If you've seen that, the end of the film is an homage when you see someone shot and falling down a snowy hill. That's from this film. One of the great things about the French New Wave is its uh, referentiality that goes both ways. The French took from Hollywood and then Hollywood later took from the French. We'll tell the story now. When Warren Beatty made Bonnie and Clyde, he originally tried to get both Truffaut and Godard to direct it before eventually it was directed by Arthur Penn. That's why Bonnie and Clyde, among other things, is film is full of film references, including famouses for our purposes, the scene that was lifted from Battleship Potemkin, the film that gave a Death Steps magazine its name. Up next is 1964's Band of Outsiders, a.k.a. Bendapar, directed by Jean-Luc Godard. This is Godard's second film after he made Breathless. The film begins with us driving around Paris with Franz and Arthur, two guys we soon learn are petty criminals and are about to plan a heist with the help of a girl named Odile. We meet Odile when all three of them show up for their English language class. Odile and Franz may or may not be a couple, and Artur seems to be immediately smitten with Odile. She already is having second thoughts about this 
plan. It turns out she lives out in the country in a villa with her aunt and a rich guy named Mr. Stoltz. And Mr. Stoltz has in his room a humongous stash of cash, which, as we learn later, is through tax fraud. So they don't mind stealing from him because he's stealing from the government. We get a bunch of wacky interludes before the heist. We see the three of them at a soda joint where they do a dance. Like I said, you can see lots of Tarantino echoes in this. They also do a famous scene where they run through the Louvre to see how fast they can do it. It turns out it's 9 minutes and 43 seconds, which breaks by 2 seconds the old record, which was held by Jimmy Johnson of San Francisco. Is this true? Does that really matter? Soon they go to the villa to perform the heist. As it turns out, things don't go according to plan. Mr. Stoltz's room is locked, so they have to try and come back the next day. And when they come back the next day, there's Aunt Victoria, who they have to take hostage. And then it turns out the money isn't all there, and things go from bad to worse. There's also the complication of Francis' uncle, who apparently knows about the heist and wants cut in. And then he's going to show up, and then... Things go from bad to worse, and as we said in film noir, not everybody makes that out alive, although some of them do. But who that is and who that isn't will let you find out on your own. Like, like Shoot the Piano Player, Band of Outsiders is chocked full of film references. They're a lot more deliberate and spelled out in this film compared to Shoot the Piano Player. You have direct references to films. You have a scene at the beginning where Arthur and Franz are pretending to have a gunfight as if they were Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. We see them having a Coca-Cola in the soda pop joint, Coke named by name. The pop dance, as we said, which is the Madison, which became a big deal in the mid-60s, which, of course, influenced the Jackrabbit Slim scene in Pulp Fiction, although John Travolta and Uma Thurman, I don't believe, ever actually do the Madison per se, although I'm not 100% sure about that. Don't quote me. And there are plenty of other touches. Artur is always wearing the stereotypical private detective trench coat and fedora as we saw people in shoot the piano player do and we'll also see in our third film you've got the getaway car you've got the ingenue slash femme fatale which of course eventually turns into a semi love triangle it's often been said that band of outsiders is godard's uh easiest film for the average person to watch because it's fairly straightforward and there's not a lot of hemi-polemics, although you do have some odd uh, political stuff sprinkled in and out, although here it's treated as comedy, which is not something you'd find in Godard's later work. 
Le Deleuze is our third and last film, although not least, from 1962, directed by Jean-Pierre Melville. Le Deleuze literally translated means hat, as we learned in a pre-title card, but colloquially for this film means the police informant. The film was oftentimes translated as The Finger Man when it was released at the time, so we will probably call it The Narc or such now. We start the film by meeting Maurice, who has just been released from prison. He meets up with Gilbert, who is a fence, and offers Maurice the chance to do a job just immediately as soon as he's gotten out of prison. However, Maurice holds a grudge against Gilbert from before he went to jail, kills him, steals the jewels, and a stash of money, which he soon hides near his apartment. We go on to meet some of our other main characters, namely Remy and Cillian and Maurice's girlfriend, Teresa. They are planning a job... The next day, Cillian has come to bring the tools, which basically means safe-cracking equipment. They go to do the heist the next day, only someone has tipped off the cops. They're there. A shootout erupts. Remy is killed. The police lieutenant is killed. And things go from bad to worse for Maurice, who believes that Cillian turned them in. He has been shot, is nursed back to house, but begins to have a grudge. We soon transition to seeing Cillian meeting with some mob guys and the mob guy's girl, who used to be his girl. Cillian is tired of all this mob business and wants to retire to the country in a new house he built, and he wants to take the mob boss's girl with him, so he soon frames the mob bosses for the jewel heist to get Maurice out of jail. Oh, by the way, Maurice has been picked up because Teresa has turned up dead. So, who was the rat? Well, you'll have to watch the film to find out. And as we said, not only does not everyone make it out alive in this film very few people make it out alive in this film who watched to find out as we said melville was not one of the kaye directors melville had actually been making films since after the war and had his own film studio he specialized in making gangster films. Le Deleuze is one of his most famous ones of the time. Bob Laflambert, a.k.a. Bob the Gambler, is another one. He would go on to make Le Samurai uh, in the 60s, The Red Circle, and another of his other films. Uh, Le Deleuze stars Jean-Paul Bomondo, who is one of the biggest stars in French cinema. He plays Cillian, and he is the guy in this film who wears the trench coat and fedora. He is the man among everything revolves around. He is pulling all the strings. He seemingly is two steps ahead of everyone, at least throughout part of the picture. Uh, Melville was not one of the 
Kaye folks. As we said, so there's not really a lot of direct homages in this film to other Hollywood films or anything like that. It's just a very solid film noir. There's uh, certainly by and certainly in the end, there's a lot of rain-soaked streets as you get Maurice driving through a pounding rainstorm to get to Cillian's house in the country for the big climax of the film. Um, as I said, these are the three that I wanted to spotlight because they're easily available to stream. All three of the films that we've talked about today are available to watch on the Criterion Channel's streaming service. Shoot the Piano Player is also on HBO Max, as is a number of French New Wave films, including some heist films. A film that we were thinking about doing but didn't do is a film called Elevator to the Gallows. That's by Louis Malle and stars Jean Moreau and has a very famous soundtrack by Miles Davis. This is a movie from 1958. A lot of Godard and Truffaut's other films are available on HBO Max and the Criterion Channel. I was pleasantly surprised to see how much French New Wave there was on HBO Max. It's very possible that's because of their tie-in deals with Turner Classic and who used to have a deal with Criterion and all those kinds of things. Again, look for films by Chabral and Romer. They have also a lot of great French New Wave films. That's it for this week. There may actually be more French heist stuff in the future, although not necessarily the French New Wave. We also will eventually get back to the spy stuff. I know that Carl has asked for horror-themed episodes in the future for the month of October to coincide with what's going on with when it was cool and some of the other content, so we're going to try and be part of that. I have something in mind that is perhaps not, does not fit the letter of the law, but does fit the spirit of the law. And if not, I know some wacky, quirky uh, 1960s TV shows that would fit the bill. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. See you next time. <laughs>